Hello, uh, this is Dr. Scoff and the Prof. What do you think about that name? Uh, I think it's a terrible name. I think it's awful. We've got to change that. Next week, we've got to change the name of the podcast. I spent hours on that name, though. I know you spent a long time notebooks full of okay. names revised. Right. But, but, but for now. Yeah. But it, anyway, it's a food, uh, broadly a food studies podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, why food, though? Why, why are you so interested in it? I mean, I know why I am. I'm a historian. I specialize in all things food. And I know you, yourself, that covers your research interests. does a bit, yeah. does a bit. So, really, we had a sit-sit down, didn't we, and we mm. thought, why not, um, instead of boring each other, why don't we mm. try and bore others? Let's, so, bore, let's bore everyone else. Bore and, everyone and food else. is everywhere, so why not talk about it? And the, the beauty of the internet is we can get to every corner of the world and bore people. Exactly. So, uh, well, what, what I thought is um, we'd start off every week um, with looking at some news stories. Mm, and the first story we're going to look at this week is um, the tension over Iron Brew, the change of recipe of very, Iron Brew in Scotland. Now, Iron Brew, uh, of course, we all know, main, made from iron girders. Steel girders. Steel girders. Steel girders, yeah. Uh, now, made by Barr, the company Barr. Yep. We all know it, orange in colour, yep. beloved of the people of Scotland. A national symbol to the extent that the news story this week was that uh, under pressure from the Scottish government who I must say are, are particularly strong on issues of, of food and diet, um, Barr have been sort of forced into reducing the sugar content. They have, yeah. Um, they're actually going to change their, their recipe. Uh, there's a sugar tax, as, as may, many of you may know, being introduced across the, uh, across the UK. And Iron Brew were one of the, the few that decided to uh, actually change their recipe to reduce the sugar. Now, I don't know what you think about the sugar tax price. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting one. No, Scotland, in that particular context, they have a bad public health record when it comes to diet and that kind of thing. True. Uh, on the other hand, there's people uh, stockpiling iron brew. I think this was in the news this <laughs> so, week. Yeah, yeah. Preparing for Armageddon. Uh, crates of iron brew being taken down, stuck in the basement. Yeah. Stockpiled. Like a holocaust. A sort of nuclear Armageddon yeah. on the way. Yeah. Um, but people, though, to, to be serious, people feel that this is part of their national identity, and you know, it, you know, consumed with a balanced diet is not going to be no, that not. harmful. And I suppose we come to the whole thing of the sugar tax in general. It, it, I mean, is this is this a good thing that that, that governments are taking this kind of action? I think, or? I think they've they've tried for years and years to try and change people's behaviour for, for the good by, you know, trying to install some sort of intrinsic motivation to stop eating so much rubbish and mm. not have a you know and I think the government have thought about this and thought well several governments I imagine it's not just the government in power now but governments in plural have been it's a ticking time bomb mm. well the yeah. Scottish government like I mentioned has been pretty strong on this and well I think more across the developed world we're seeing this aren't we because we are coming to see um, yeah, for example this week in England certain areas where the life expectancy is actually decreasing for the first time in many many years that's crazy, isn't it? and a lot of that's to do with diet and the consumption of sugar mm. uh, so we've got to look at sugary drinks also news this week that that sugary drinks the worst sugary drinks being bars soon from all nhs sites yeah uh several retailers including m&s um pledged to put up their prices so we're seeing this war on sugar again a lot of debates this ties into is is this the nanny state? Mm -hmm. uh, is it the place of the government to do so, um, or is it a you know very worthy initiative to actually try and reverse some of these really bad trends we're seeing in terms of Western diets? Yeah, I mean, 
The rise of obesity, I mean, I think uh, I was saying to a colleague the other day, if you look back through history, usually the people who were obese were rich. Mm. Um, it tends to be, you know, the fact, if you look at Henry VIII, for instance, he was, he was quite a poorly He was fellow. a fatty. He was. We're uh, seeing the, the rise of China now, the expansion of the Chinese middle class, and of course everyone wants to drink sugary drinks and eat do. red meat, and they uh, they're getting fat. It used to be a status symbol, of it course. Did. But of course, the the the, the uh, penetration of sugar is, is a long story, isn't it? I mean, it goes back to the east, to the um, to to the Silk Road, the spice routes in the east, to, to to India, especially. But I suppose in the modern era, in Western Europe, intrinsically linked to the to the slave trade, to the the so-called triangular trade, where you had slaves brought over from Africa to the Caribbean, especially places like Barbados. Yeah. Uh, big sugar plantations, Haiti, of course, before they had their revolution against the French, uh, and then sugar coming back to Europe and being consumed increasingly by the the poor and the working classes as populations expand. Yeah. So it's cheap, cheap form of energy, I guess. Absolutely, and then in more recent history, of course, Coca Cola really cornering the market. They have, yeah. I mean, going back to Iron Brew, uh, Iron Brew, uh, the, the last bastion in the world, uh, one of the last, anyway. Uh, they are the well in we were saying before about uh, the national pride in scotland mm. uh, iron brew is the, the most drunk soft drink well actually it has been for, for many a decade but coca-cola pulling them back but they're one of the only countries in the world where that's still the case mm. which is which is crazy to think about when you think about how cr- how massive the coca-cola brand is worldwide and you know if you go back through history World War II seems to be sort of the birth of this uh, growth of Coca-Cola uh, consumption and uh, brand loyalty around the world mm. uh, as the mm. GIs were moving all over the world uh, mm. during during World War II. Uh, the, the plants were following them, mm. the, the, they, they had Coca-Cola with them and it was, you know, I think there was a bit of sort of, um, I think the, the, the small places they went to, oh, yeah. Yeah. they well, see it, a GI with a Coca-Cola, they, you know, and they... they it's called the transference effect. Yeah, they get good good feelings when they see certain yeah. brands. We have them now as well. And, and Coca Cola, of course, is you know it's 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 part and parcel of U.S. cultural imperialism, isn't it? it? Is. I mean, you, it's a recognisable brand. Uh, it's incredibly popular. Even in you know again in terms of national context, you go to places, for example, like Peru, where Inca Cola was yeah. always the bit that you know yellowy kind of uh, radioactive yellow color. But strangely, bought, bought by Coca Cola now. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, Coca Cola. So, uh, but you always say that I think you, this is you were telling me that Coca Cola always beats in blind taste tests always beats Pepsi. Oh, it's the other way around. It always it always gets beaten by Pepsi. Oh, Pepsi always beats Coke. Always, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's been years and years of seventies uh, and eighties where Pepsi really played on that heavily mm. uh, in their adverts as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, branding is is enormous. You know, we. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into too much sort of academia about some research in this, but there was sort of one in uh, in, in Italy looking at pastas. Mm. And people, people. I mean, I'm not going to say we're, we're all stupid. We're not stupid, but we are very... Uh, we can be convinced by things, I yeah. think, quite easily. Impressionable. And, yeah, very impressionable. Holidays are coming. Here's the Coca-Cola truck. That's it, that's um, it. Which got banned in, banned in uh, Liverpool. They, they didn't allow it. That was Did a big petition. Yeah, they wanted to stop it because of the issue mm. of, of child obesity. And this is what the government, going mm. back to this, mm. I guess what we're talking about with this, this first news story is, mm. is the fact that the government are doing this 
to stop child obesity. And did you know the sugar tax only applies to soft drinks, it seems? There's, not, there's, no, there's no sugar tax on chocolate. Mm. No mm. issue on chocolate. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, but they stopped king sizes. Do you remember mm. that? Mm. You used to be able to buy a good king size. Uh, and then they just put the price up for uh, a smaller... I mean, this tends to be... And again, this, yeah. is a, this is quite a debate, I mean, post-Brexit, about the size of certain chocolate bars and that kind of thing. You know, companies... I suppose, going along with corporate social responsibility, but yeah. for them it just means reducing the size and putting the price up. It could be. It could be. And, you know, labelling it as CSR. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's that's unfortunately a pessimist might might look at this whole situation and just think, well, it's a way for these these companies to make a, a bit more money, potentially. But I, but I can't help but be a little bit pessimistic about the, the, the sugar consumption and impact on health when we come to our second story yeah, this week. Yeah, this, I mean, this one really jumped out at me. I mean, uh, there's this... I read this story on BBC News that there was a, there was a lady who'd basically lost almost half her weight by just stopped. Well, actually, the headline drew me in. It said uh, it was something about lady lady loses half her weight by um, stopping uh, fizzy drinks. And then when you actually read it, she was drinking twenty cans of Dr Pepper a day. Wow. I mean, just let that sink in. I mean, I can drink twenty cans of anything a day. I don't no. think. Well, no, no I, don't, I don't think I could. No. And then she used to go to bed with a two litre bottle of Diet. Dr. Pepper. When you think about the illustrations of how many sugar cubes are inside each time, I think, it's about, I think I mean, it's about a kilo and a half. Oh my goodness! Sugar a day, and you know, it's ga- she must have been a gassy girl. She, well, yeah, she must have been. She must yeah. have been. But she, um, yeah, she stopped it, and unsurprisingly, she lost half half of her weight, which is which is um, probably not too surprising to anybody. Perhaps that's a vindication of some of the measures we're seeing coming in. I think it's probably an extreme version. I mm. think, but um, I don't know. This this month of it's just been sugar, 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 sugar. It's just been in the in the papers. Uh, seems to be that the media seem to have got their teeth into this one. I wonder whether it is the the media or whether it's the politicians nudging the media. I wonder. I think I think something has to be done. Yeah, I think, I think something so. has to be done. But I mean, we've seen in those two stories the stockpiling of iron brew, <laughs> the enormous, not so enormous Dr Pepper woman. Not so enormous. Not anymore. Um, the, she was enormous, but she's not. Anymore. The impact of this. Yeah, so uh, as a result, I'm gonna I'm gonna cook you something with sugar in it. I'm gonna go away and have a think about it, and I'm gonna cook you something. It's not gonna be hard. Sugar, sugar's in everything. Well, I'm gonna try and think of something reasonably awful, obviously. Okay. But um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go and have a look. I'm gonna have a think about this. And, okay. Uh, um, Maybe a nice we'll dessert. A nice desserts. Well, let's not sway me. I'll have a think about it, and okay. we'll see we'll see what happens. Does that sound like an idea? Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, so now we come to the section of the show where uh, one of us cooks for the other. And this week I'm delighted to say that Clay has prepared something for me. I'm not quite sure what it is yet. Uh, what have you prepared for me this week, Clay? This week I have... Uh, well, I was going to make you something awful, obviously. Um, but I didn't. I've given you a pass this week. I've actually made a pavlova, really. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about meringues, basically. So um, here's a bit for you. Oh, ta-da. there you go! Wow, I'll just um, we'll have a go. Obviously, I'll just cut a bit here. Obviously, this is terrible uh, audio. Wow, terrible, you know, eating. I'm on, just gonna. On. I mean, it looks fantastic. You've got raspberries there. Have, you've yep. blueberries. Yeah. You've cream on the top. Bit of cream on there as well. Yeah, nice and easy. Nothing, nothing too uh, too over the top. Talk me through this base before I talk into it now. Well, it's you know meringues are quite simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's quite a lot of history behind meringues. I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a sec. But um, I'm going to dig in. Go for it. Go for it. See okay. what you think. I haven't put anything awful in it. I should have done, as I said. I'm I'm, I'm uh, collecting a bit of cream here. Yeah, that's nice and. Mm. 
Yeah. I've got a big raspberry and a blueberry on the end of my spoon. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty nice, aren't they? That's nice. And the base isn't too chewy. No. No, it isn't. No. You stick... Well, I mean, in essence, it's only a couple of... Uh, couple of ingredients. It's quite versatile, really, Amarang, mm. and it always has been. Um, the other thing as well, it's non-dairy, gluten-free, so sugar, yeah. egg whites, a bit of corn flour, which mm. I guess, um, I'm not sure how gluten-free corn flour is, but you can you can omit that. And a uh, bit of vinegar in there as well. And that's it, really. Um, now, if you want to talk about the history of it, um, there's a few different historians who have a few different views on this. Please tell me. Yeah, they're, well, they're not really sure where it originated. Well, I guess that's academics for you. Um, but there are a few different views. Um, one of them, there was a Swiss chef called Gasprini. Mm. Um, there's others who believe that um, it came from Poland. Uh, a chef who was in the service of King uh, Stanislas, who became the Duke of Lorraine. I don't know, do you know who the Duke of Lorraine was? I have no idea. I'm not sure either. But I'm sure he's very important. Uh, but he introduced it to his daughter, who then introduced it uh, to the French. As in Alsace-Lorraine? Potentially, yeah. Mm. Is that, do you know who she is? Of that region. Okay. Mm. But this cool. is good. I think Gasparini would be proud. He would, yeah. Or um, Marie Antoinette, obviously. She loved, she loved meringues. Let them eat cake. Let them eat meringue. Let them eat meringue, maybe, yeah. Uh, other historians think uh, that it was made in Britain in the 1600s, would you believe? Oh, so we've been a national competition over, as, as I think yeah. we'll, we'll come to this theme quite often, won't we? Yeah, the, the yeah. national competition over dishes. I think. Uh, We'll go with Britain. I think we're going we're gonna to say Britain. 1600s, it was a couple of hundred years before the other historians. Okay, sure, why not? Um, why not? I think Eleanor Fetty Placer, I read, originally um, had it in one of her uh, recipe books. So, um, what do you think? You had a meringue before? Must I had have. a meringue before, but this is very nice. That, it's probably that's... the best meringue you've ever had, actually. Uh, um, I'm just not quite. Well, well, do you know what? The combination of. I love the way you've done How have you done the cream? Uh, I just whipped it. Mm. Yeah, nothing special. Just just whipped it. Very nice. That's and it. the blueberries and the raspberries, you've yeah. nice tang. Grow, grow, grew them. Grew them from the garden. Grew them yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grew Fantastic. them. Forest fruits. <laughs> yeah, forest fruits, yeah. It's, but it's very nice. And it's not. And we, I must say, we're, we're drinking a little claret here. Yes. A little claret number. Goes very well with it. We should have perhaps had some dessert wine, but that's probably uh, for later. Well, that actually goes very well with, um, with the red, actually. It it's does. Nice. Very nice. Now, what I wanted to tell you about as well is obviously. This is meringue, but really it's a pavlova. So I don't know. Do you know where pavlova comes from? The the sort of name or pavlova? Could that have anything to do with the? Would it be the eponymous pavlova? The the ballet dancer. The ballet dancer. The ballet dancer. Yeah, Anna Pavlova. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in nineteen twenty, she visited both Australia and New Zealand, and for many, many, many years, they've both been fighting over who actually invented it. And about eight years ago. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary settled the dispute and said it was New Zealand. It was New Zealand, was it? Oh, okay. It was New Zealand, yeah. So uh, that's that's basically the history, and I believe uh, the shape of it is supposed to represent her tutu. Well, now you say that, I'm just looking at that. It does look beautiful, like tutu, rounded, decorative effect. Yes. I can see that that may resemble one of Miss Pavlova's you know, items of clothing. Potentially. Well, that's it, really. I think. I think next time, I'm, next time, I've, I've got to. I've got to up my game. I've got to make it. I've got to make it awful. I mean, I think you've got to let well, off here. Next, to next time, it's my turn, and I've got. To, I've just come across a recipe book, um, the Curious Cookery Book, with all sorts of weird historical recipes, really? including one for a dessert called Horse Farts. 
Excellent. So maybe well, we I'd, could have some horrors for us next well, time. Well, uh, I look forward to that uh, with bated breath. That was a delicious dessert that you cooked for me there. Thanks. I must say. Thanks. I know we're, we're supposed to be dis- cooking disgusting things for one another every week. Well, that's. I think that'd be. Yeah, the reactions be a little. Well, that bit was better. wonderful and very sweet. And on that note, uh, regular segment. I want to talk about a few books in terms of the week's topic. So sugar. One of the best introductory books you can read on this, Sugar, A Global History, by a guy called Andrew Smith. And it's, there's a publisher called Reaction, who bring out, they've brought out um, uh, food-based book, introductory books for very many different things. So Smith, who writes this book, which came out in 2015, it's just called Sugar, A Global History. Are they quite long, these books? Ah, uh, they're very short. He's also the author of Hamburger, yeah. in 2008, and, and Potato, 2011. All right. That does exactly what it says in the tin. Um, so that's a good introductory book. A couple of other big books in sugar history. Uh, back in the day, uh, Sydney Mint's Sweetness and Power, 1985. Yeah. Uh, all to do with power relations, corporate power, the growth of sugar, the expansion of sugar, imperialism, that kind of thing. And a book which ties into our debates earlier on about diet yeah. uh, by a guy called John Yodkin, who's long dead. Uh, British uh, prof dietitian, quite a famous book. In 1972, wrote a book called Pure White and Deadly. Oh, really? And it was about sugar, was it? It was about sugar. Oh, right. it, it, well, it was also it was about the roots of disease. Really? Uh, he wasn't a historian; he was a scientist, and it was he was a biologist, and it was about fat and disease. And he thought that the focus on fats as the cause of disease, heart disease, etc., was all wrong. That we should look at sugar. Now, as time really? has gone on, scientific consensus has agreed with Yodkin. Yeah. But at the time, he faced an awful lot of opposition from the big food companies, big food industry, because they were, of course, pushing towards things like margarines, you know, low fat, but sugary as an alternative. Hmm. And they didn't want to hear it. So that's quite an interesting book. Strange you say that, actually, because uh, when, when I think it was in the 80s, 70s and 80s, there was this whole sort of range of... Uh, health well low fat products this kind of uh, you know uh, healthy well it was advertised as healthy eating but actually they were they did they were lower in in, in calories but they were not very good for you you know yeah. the, the actual nutritional content of them was was not mm. actually very good low in calorie but mm. actually not very good for you at all well that's the thing we've gone from the public health moral panic being fat linked between fat and disease yeah to now, you know, 40 years later after John Yudkin's book, 45 years later, being sugar and disease. Yeah. So that book again has become quite popular, Pure White and Deadly, uh, which is a great title as well, isn't it? It is. It, you know, if you look on the shelves in, in the supermarket, you see, uh, you know, big brands like Innocent. And, you know, they came on the scene owned by Coca-Cola now, would you ah, believe? Yeah, uh, another but, one. Yeah, another one. Uh, and really... They came onto the scene, to the scene, and, and blew up, and everyone was, you know, big news. Mm. And they're just making smoothies. They're mm. just, just, you know, vegetables, um, fruit, mm. and they blend it down, and all mm. of a sudden, everyone's going, "Oh, what an innovative idea!" Natural sugars versus processed sugars, of course. So of course, yeah, yeah. But I mean, why? I mean, it's common sense, isn't it? Mm. You, you know, you should be should be eating fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Why not? Why a brand comes along and all of a sudden everyone's raving about it? Yeah. It should be common sense, really. You'd ho- you'd hope anyway. Hopefully, but as we discussed earlier on, the impressionability of people. Indeed, uh, and indeed. As we were also discussing earlier on, the the roots of sugar spreading to uh, you know the developed world. And one of the best books I've ever read on this, 
um, a book called Sugar and Slaves. And it's all about the rise of the planter class in the English West Indies. It's, it's 17th and 18th century. And it's it's really a really good portrait, you know, source-based of who were the types of English guys who went out there, who became planters, who ran the plantations. Uh, it discusses well the appalling mortality rates yeah. uh, for blacks and whites, actually, out there in places like Barbados yeah. back in the um, 1600s to 1700s. Yeah. The way that racism, I suppose, it leads into the sort of later development then is racism as a way to justify such an exploitative economic system. Um, but you've been to Barbados. I have, you? yeah, yeah. I went a few years ago with my with my wife, and uh, we went to uh, one of the big distilleries there. Strange, you were saying about actually the sugar canes, uh, you know, the plantations, and um, there were big festivals. We went through the, sort of the history of of how they cultivated and and you know uh, made rum from the from the sugar canes themselves so a yeah. big festival when they when they collect harvest festival and uh the molasses which is a byproduct of the whole process that was used to make the rum and mm. i remember at the end of the tour lovely lady who, who was showing us around, very knowledgeable and i asked about well where's all the sugar cane now i mean if you're yeah. making this rum where are the plantations the other, where, where are the plantations and and you know she said well we buy a lot of it in now you know, this is this is the thing. A lot of these big brands uh, with 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 supposedly a massive, long history. Mm. You know, reaching back into time, and that's part of the reason we buy the brand, I guess. Mm. But really, when you when you dig down a little bit deeper, mm. that history and that sort of provenance isn't necessarily there because of the demand for the product, because of globalization, I guess, more mm. than anything else. It's it's branding again, and branding. Uh, again, Caribbean, Cuba. Yes, uh, yeah. Bacardi. Bacardi started in Cuba. It's a pretty dirty history. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, pretty yeah. dirty history, that company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it ties into my last book. And uh, I know you think this section may be getting a little bit tedious. It, it may be, uh, yeah. Books, yeah, History yeah, yeah. books. But, you know, people, I believe, still want to read. Yeah. And uh latest book I'm going to talk about, 2010, Elizabeth Abbott's Sugar, A Bittersweet History. And that's a, that's a really good sort of addition to the canon. Uh, got some really good reviews, and it discusses sort of the global history of sugar from uh, sugar sculptures at the court of Elizabeth I right up to uh, well later stuff. She even links it to the, the again Cuba, the Bay of Pigs, yeah. um, slavery. She goes into quite a lot of depth about slavery, sexual, racial exploitation yeah. there, but even things like um, Hitler's obsession with uh, self-sufficiency in food, yeah. the sugar beet industry that developed. Yeah, in yeah. So, I mean, some really interesting titles there. It's weird. We've always had a, a sort of a sweet tooth, haven't we? I guess it's it's, it's part of our DNA as, as human beings. I remember, I, I forget what, what era it was, about pineapples. Pineapples were seen as a... Was it Victorian? Or maybe it's earlier. Earlier than that, Earlier, it? yeah. It's the new world. It's a sign of uh, exoticism. It is, yeah. And uh, affluence. And it was on a lot of uh, crests, etc., I seem mm -hmm. to remember. And I remember reading this... The, one of the first pineapples that was ever grown in the in the country, because if you had a, if you had people come around for dinner, you'd, you'd place a pineapple out, oh. and people would be in awe of this this, this thing. new exotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember seeing, and I can't remember where it was. It escapes me, but it had these this big sort of um, round. Um, I don't know what the word. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't a greenhouse, but it was the equivalent of. And they and they put hay in this trench around it, and they burnt the hay, mm. and that was one of the only ways to keep inside the right temperature to be able to grow pineapples in in our climate. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, 
Now we go to the shop, we just buy a pineapple. Yeah. It's no, it's no big deal. Well, no, so. seasonality has almost disappeared. Well, it has it, completely just, disappeared. Yeah, you look at a recipe online, you just go down the shop and get mm. it. And we don't think, and seasonality is, uh, I think, we don't think of it enough. We go and buy strawberries. Well, for example, tonight with your, your, yeah. your raspberries. Exactly. You know. Raspberries are well out of season. Mm. And they don't really taste as nice as they do when they're in season. But we Tasted pretty good to me. Well, they, you know, that was probably the, the, the large... 250 grams of sugar that went into it, probably. Back, anything, back to sugar yeah, again. Yeah, back to sugar again. <laughs> I, well, I, was, I was talking about sugar as well. I was, I was trying to think of a good, a good story that I've read in, in general about, about sugar. And one of my favourites would be in Japan. Now, KitKat, we know KitKat owned by Nestle. In Japan, they have some of the weirdest flavours of Kit Kats. Have you seen this at all? I haven't, but you know, sometimes the Japanese are the world leaders in weird, aren't they? They, they can be. They can be. They, they're very eccentric and, and very innovative as well at the same time. But um, two of the flavours that jumped out at me: uh, grilled potato flavoured Kit Kats. Well, I remember the sensation that orange Kit Kat. Orange Kit Kat. Yeah, but so, but, but I'm thinking, I, you know, in terms of uh, complementary. Things with chocolate, P- potato. Well, it's 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 a winner. It's a winner out there. Soybean. That was another one I saw, which just completely soy sauce. I mean, I mean, honestly, there's umpteen amounts of them. If 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 anyone's interested, check on the soy so, soy sauce kick out. You serious? Yeah, yeah seriously. No, mad, soybean. Madness. I mean, it's just you have a look. Cherry blossom. I mean, you can go on the internet and they have just a whole array. And actually, it's worked really well for them. It's worked incredibly, incredibly well for them. They're selling, you know, Kit Nestle, Kats weren't really, well, Nestle, yeah. They weren't selling as many Kit Kats as they are now. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone crazy. People are buying them. And now there's an interest globally for them. Um, people are going on the internet and trying to, trying to buy these weird and wonderful Kit Kats of all these strange flavours, etc. Well, there you go. If you have arcane tastes in your sugary treats, yeah. that's for you. Exactly. I mean, personally, I'd rather stick to the, the nice, yeah. was it a meringue or a pavlova? Uh, it was pavlova. Uh, the nice pavlova, pavlova, you know, good traditional, yeah. resembling a, a, a ballerina's blouse. Maybe I should have put grilled potato in it. I don't think that would have gone very well. Oh, it might. Well, no, no. In Japan? Well, we're not in Japan, no, are we? Not in Japan. Yeah. But anyway, I, I hope you all uh, enjoyed listening. Um, what do you think, Bryce? Any final words? Well, we're going to change the name for next week. Well, or next, well, next, know, whenever we'll, the next one is. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, you know, Doctor Scoff and the Prof. I think that's that's pretty good. I mean, you are an associate prof, so I mean that works. And um, I do like food. We'll, so. we'll see how it goes. We will. I, I mean, I go back to drawing board. Watch this space. <laughs>